Welcome back, everyone, to another version of Coffee Connections. Uh, we're joined today with Threshold Community Program, and we're going to get into that in a second. But first, I want to once again welcome everyone back. Thanks so much for uh, tuning in, all your wonderful comments lately. For those tuning in for the first time, if you're on our YouTube page, please do subscribe. Uh, this is Insights with Innovators, Coffee Connections. We're talking to Atlanta nonprofits, uh, talking about their missions, what they're doing, introducing them to you, as well as talking about fundraising and all sorts of other things that pop up. Now today uh, on our program, we like I mentioned, we got Threshold Community Program. Uh, we've got their executive director Dave Nelson and their marketing director Ben Davidow. Now David's role is focused on marketing, fundraising, general admissions, professional outreach, strategic partnerships, and business development. He's been um, able to continue to provide direct services in the form of individual, group, and family counseling, as well as crisis support and clinical supervision. Uh, Dave's got a great story I'm excited to hear about, and uh, Ben gave me a little bit about his story, but uh, I'm excited for us all to hear his story and more about Threshold Community Program. Uh, ben, in addition to teaching writing, music, and uh, affinities at TCP, he coordinates the marketing initiatives, uh, which helps get the word out about all of their programs uh, and um, their fundraising, connecting with their donors and all sorts of stuff. So let's uh, let's jump into it. I want to welcome both to the program. Uh, I'm going to bring them in now and have them talk a little bit about their organization. So uh, let's see here. Let's bring everyone in. Boom, look at that, like magic. <laughs> welcome, gentlemen. Nice work. Thank you. Yeah, so why don't we start? Dave, why don't we start with you and, uh, sure. and, and have you both piggyback a little bit. Uh, tell everybody about the organization. Tell us about your uh, the school. But, well, wait a second. How can I forget before we do any of that? We must talk about coffee. Co this is coffee connections. Please tell me, do you all have a coffee mug by chance? I do indeed. Oh, I do. All right. All right. Well, let's start with Ben. Ben, tell us about your coffee mug. Uh, so this mug was made by my grandfather. Um, sort of later in his life he became a potter and he started working over at uh callenwald and teaching at callenwald uh and i think you can even see he's got his little mark on here uh so it's a special cup he's made a ton of these and our whole family has different sets of his mugs all right he, wonderful he preferred a very large cup himself <laughs> <laughs> so all the cups fit in his cup they definitely would all right. Now, Dave, what kind of cup do you have here? What's your oh, coffee mug? I, too, have a uh, family-made uh, mug. 
Uh, it's actually made by my uh, now uh, 12-year-old stepdaughter. Uh, the place did not have a stepdad mug, so it's just a dad mug. Uh, when I gave up caffeine, I started putting pens and pencils in this. So uh, I, I do now drink a lot of non-decaffeinated uh, coffee, but uh, the mug has been retired to a pencil holder. All right. Well, if she had uh, stepped on it, then it would really be a stepdad. Yeah, mug. there you go. There you go. <laughs> uh, my mug in honor of schools is uh, the Waldorf uh, uh, nice. mug. and. Uh, and this stuff really keeps the coffee hot because it, it's burnt my tongue in the past. But, um, you know, that's that's bound to happen. Uh, all right. Fast firing questions. I see you've got espresso machine behind you. Let's talk about coffee. Do you like it pressed or do you like it drip? Oh, I prefer espresso. Um, I am not a total coffee aficionado. I'm more of a tea drinker, but um, I'm a big fan of espresso, as I said. And Dave, are you more of a drip or a press guy? Well, typically more of a drip guy, but uh, when I'm at a coffee shop, I'll take anything they make that's decaf. You can't always, you got to sort of pick your coffee shops carefully when you want a good cup of decaf. All right. And then hot or cold? Iced coffee or hot coffee? Hot for me all the time. Ooh, um, I'm about 50-50 on that. But I would go more towards the iced chai route and then the hot coffee. All right, and final question. Do we like our roast dark, light, medium? What's the body of the roast here? Medium to dark for me. And, yeah, same uh, for yeah. me, sorry. Yeah, no <laughs> additives. All right, well, gentlemen, I'm going to pull myself out of the video here uh, so that you both can talk about your mission, talk about the school, let everyone know who, what Threshold Community Program is and how you all got involved. All right, so uh, I'll kick us off here, Ben, just for a minute. So the origin of this program was in um, a lot of the work that I did with uh, my oldest son, who's now 31. When he was three, he was diagnosed on the spectrum. And over the next five to 10 years, we realized how difficult it was for him uh, to find a school program that really worked for him. Uh, and so our program came out of that need um, although my son moved on to other schools and other programs in his life, that was really the origin of uh, what was originally called the community school and then uh, now our current name, Threshold Community Program. So we're a relatively unique program, a little bit hard to describe. Um, we work with both adolescents who are still in school, middle school or high school. We also work with young adults who are post-secondary who are transitioning into the larger world, either uh, trying to apply to and go to college or um, trying to develop a career path and get work experience uh, or trying to move out from uh, their caregivers' homes and live independently. So we do a lot of post-secondary and transition support. Um, and I think the thing that makes us relatively unusual is that we're specifically therapeutic. We are always focusing on the social emotional development of the people we work with even while we are teaching them math or history or music or supporting them in finding an apartment or whatever it happens to be. Um, so I am uh, a founder of the organization, but uh, Ben, you've been on board for, I don't know, nine years. So you, you probably have a pretty deep perspective on what we do as well. Yeah. Um, so I've been here nine years. Um, and through that nine years, I kind of started out as a parapro. And then as an assistant teacher um, and over time, getting to know the needs of our families and participants in the community 
as well as getting a better understanding of, um, yeah, just sort of the inner workings of the program became very interested in helping us get the word out about the program and um, increasing, expanding our reach. And then Ben, one of the things that I know you've done a lot of for us is helping us connect with the, with uh, other organizations in the community. Will you talk a little bit about that for, for everybody? Yeah. So um, as part of our outreach and for our transition services, um, we connect with a number of community partners and organizations. Uh, so we've been working with say uh, zoo Atlanta, Fern bank, the Alliance theater, illuminate Atlanta, Decatur makers, um, just to name a few. There's many others that are definitely deserving of a shout out. Um, and we help place a lot of our participants in the program and in internships so they can gain real world job experience. And we do this in a supported way by bringing in uh, different staff members with them to the sites. Um, obviously that's a challenge in a virtual world, but we are working on bridging that gap even in the virtual world so that our participants can continue to get that same support um, and help them yeah, expand their skill sets. One of the things I really love about that work is that you have been able to develop relationships organizations that uh, begin to see the people we work with as we do, which is as complete human beings. I think, you know, when my kid was young, autism was a relatively sort of uh, kind of unknown condition. Uh, Rain Man came out in the, in the mid 80s. I don't even know if people see that movie anymore, although it's really an excellent movie. Um, but now, while there's a lot more understanding and awareness of autism, I think there's still a lot of um, misunderstandings about, uh, about it as a condition. Uh, there's still people who believe that people on the spectrum don't have empathy or aren't interested in relationships or aren't capable of being a part of, uh, of a larger community. And we know that that's not the case. Um, and that work that we do in supporting people in finding a place in, in a community, not only improving their ability to have relationships, but then also getting connected with actual people who value their strengths. I think that's been a really wonderful part of what we do. Yeah, I think uh, staying in the Decatur area too has been of great benefit to that, like working with the Decatur Arts Alliance and we've been able to throw um, art shows for our participants and really key them into the community. And they have an outlet to getting on MARTA and learning public transportation. So there's just all sorts of benefits from being in the area. Now, how large of a uh, space do you guys have? Do you, that do you, when, when people are going to school at it? Yeah. So uh, we occupy, it's about, I mean, it's about 7,500 square feet of space. We currently uh, use space in the First Baptist Church of Decatur, which is right downtown, in downtown Decatur. Um, and uh, we serve at any given time, we serve about uh, 30 families in a tuition-based program, and then another 10 to 20 people in hourly services. So we do, part of, part of what we do is operates a little bit like a clinic. So we see some people for hourly counseling or just job coaching or people who just come to social groups, things like that. But the core of our is tuition-based work, which is pretty intensive for the participants and also very supportive of uh, the families. Because I think 
anybody who's raised a kid of any kind knows that that transition to an adulthood is as much a transition for the family as it is for the individual. Uh, so we're doing a lot of uh, support of caregivers and siblings and other family members in trying to help uh, help them support the transition of their child. Yeah, now that that's one thing I learned when I uh, uh, I started working as a, a, a benefit auctioneer. One of the organizations I worked with is a um, dyslexic organization, and the one thing that that my you know the aha moment, if you will, in uh, consulting with them is I never considered just how much the parents' lives are positively ch changed by a kid going to a school for you know, dyslexic school, get, getting those, um, getting all that addressed properly. Uh, and I imagine it's the same uh, with, with your community, um, where these parents are getting support in ways that they never, they never had, and their, their whole lives must be so much better off. Well, I think for any parent that has had to, um, that's had to advocate for a child who's in some, in any way, kind of non-standard, uh, whether it's a child who's particularly gifted or one who's got you know challenges of a particular kind it's such an incredibly different experience to have your kid be in a school or a program that actually values the the kid that you have so instead of being an advocate in kind of an adversarial situation you become a collaborator that makes it as a parent it makes it easier for you to have a more meaningful and positive relationship with your child it takes some of the pressure off of that advocacy that you have to do. And it really, I think, can just sort of fundamentally change the quality of everybody's lives in that system. And it's, you're right, it's not something that people necessarily think about, but you know, being a parent means being an advocate, but boy, it's so much easier to do it when you're working with people who are collaborating with you instead of fighting with you. Right, that makes a lot of sense. Now, we, you know, I mean, I'd say let's address the elephant in the room, Ben, but that's, you know, he's got the elephant <laughs> behind him, right? Uh, COVID's More hit and, and, and these, these, these kids aren't able to go to your, your classes. This, the, you mentioned Ben about the, um, uh, the job skills and, and having the assistance there. How have you all <clears throat> dealt with all of this change, uh, this current change? What are some of the things you've, uh, you've been doing? Well, um, since COVID has started, we took in somewhat, um, well, I don't want to use the word aggressive, but we tried to be as innovative as possible and act as quickly as possible so that we wouldn't be as reactive as maybe some other programs. So we were actually one of the programs to shut down first so that we could um, gather our thoughts and really come up with a cohesive plan of how we were going to tackle this situation. And part of that plan um, was putting together an online program, virtual program, and implementing it fairly quickly. Um, and so in less than a week, we just have an incredible staff with a lot of people that are very talented and have um, great ideas. And we were able to pull together a pretty good program that we have since then continued to carve out uh, and got a much better sense over the summer with our summer program. And now it seems to be going as streamlined as it can be. And we're just continuing to sort of push that envelope and make sure that everyone is getting as much support as possible. Um, yeah, while still maintaining a positive growth-oriented mindset. 
Yeah, and one of the things I would add to that is um, because having experience with my stepdaughter being in public school and just sort of watching the public schools struggle with how to do uh, virtual education is that we have made a real commitment to having as much um, what in the technical world would be called, you know, sort of synchronous programming. We're doing as much live online programming as we can. It's sort of a fundamental tenet of our approach that interaction, being connected and, and you know, in interactive um, activities with people is, it's, it's an important part of what we do. So we try very hard to de-emphasize uh, giving people assignments to do offline. And instead we're really working live with people through the screen. And while it's a little bit less robust in some cases than being in person, and there are certainly some experiential activities that we can't do, uh, I think we have really pushed the envelope in terms of, yeah, being live online together. We have the benefit of having a very low participant to staff ratio. So, you know, for us, a large group is three or four or five people, which is a little bit easier to manage in a, in a Zoom room or a Google Meet. Uh, but that interactive piece is really a central part of what we always try to do. And I think we've done, I, I agree with Ben that I think we've been really innovative in, um, yeah, in, in leveraging what's available on the internet and uh, just being creative individually as well. Now, how do you deal, uh, how, do you, how do you work with the autistic children uh, through, I mean, l listen, I have a hard enough time getting my mom to FaceTime and Zoom. You're dealing with autistic <clears throat> children. Like how... How do you overcome that um, that challenge? Yeah, certainly, certainly there are challenges that are hard to overcome. Whether it's uh, you know supporting somebody through a technical issue uh, or something like that, but a, a hallmark of our approach, whether we're online or in person, is we are connecting with people through their strengths and their interests and their passions. So somebody who is really interested in anime or really loves trains or really likes talking about World War II, we're gonna build our curriculum around those things and that draws people in. So even if we are limited by uh, having to go through screens, we're still drawing people in because they're getting to interact with others around the stuff that's really meaningful to them. Uh, and so I, I would say that's kind of the single most powerful strategy that we have. And secondarily, um, you know, at least for participants who are not new to us, they're building on existing relationships. We really work hard to build trusting relationships. Uh, ben, I think you can certainly speak to, you know, participants that you've built amazing relationships with through your music and how that really draws people in. Yes, I was actually going to comment on that. I was thinking about the relationship that we have with a lot of these um, participants and it's a strong relationship that's been built over many experiences that have been positive. And, um, you know, between the participant and the staff, we're highly motivated to see each other. And when you're, when you have motivated learning, then you have the ability to take some risk and you have the ability to sort of stretch and be a little bit more emotionally durable. Uh, and all of that comes into play. So, I think it really shows that, um, you know, the work that we've been doing is definitely important to these 
participants and helping them get connected. No, that makes a lot of sense. Now, um, to shift gears just a little bit, uh, let's talk about fundraising because you've done a lot of work in fundraising to, to help these folks out. Um, I'm out of curiosity, are you seeing an increase in, t- in your to it, not financial tuition, but the number of people, the uh, number of students, has it gone up or down or kind of stayed the same? No, it's been about the same. I mean, we had, you know, we deal in relatively small numbers being a program of about 30. We've had a few families that have had uh, some significant financial stress and that has changed their ability to work with us. Uh, and we've had a couple of families who've uh, had to come to terms with the fact that they're child does not learn well through this format, that an in-person format is really essential. Uh, But for the most part, I would say at this point, the demand is uh, similar to increasing. You know, I think what's probably true of a lot of private schools and colleges over the years is that we're going to be seeing the effects of um, changes in demand over a couple of years, not not necessarily um, just this first year. So there may both increase in demand, but a decrease in people's ability to pay, which makes that fundraising piece that much more important. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Now, let's talk about that fundraising. Uh, have what, Just to give everyone an idea, what were your primary ways of fundraising in the past? Yeah. Has that changed? And if it did change, what are you doing to on that change? Yeah, so I'll start and then Ben, yeah, you can weigh in on this. So, um, you know, I think for us, um, there's not really. I, I, there's. This is an awkward way to say this, but the the pandemic for us in terms of our fundraising hit at kind of a pretty good time because we typically have our biggest fundraiser in February. So the bulk of our fundraising for the last fiscal year was complete by the time the pandemic hit. So it gave us a little bit of breathing room to figure out what we're going to do. And as we came to recognize the real, you know, scope and devastation of the pandemic, um, we've at least had some time to sort of think about and conceptualize how to do this moving forward. You know, we do have to raise about $200,000 every year. Um, and we do it uh, primarily through a big in-person, uh, what's called our Southern Soiree, which is a, you know, silent auction and gala kind of an event that usually has a fair number of um, corporate and family sponsors. Uh, We have had a golf tournament in the fall for the past few years, and we do active individual fundraising as well and some grant writing. So what we, and I'll let Ben talk about how we're thinking about shifting, but I've come to terms with the fact that we're not providing in-person services to our participants, and I don't feel good about trying to encourage people to come to in-person events for fundraising if we're not feeling safe enough to work with our participants. So we've tried to shift and I'll let, I'll let Ben, you talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So as we've been thinking through the virtual world and the capabilities of that, we have begun to put together a plan to implement a series of virtual events. Uh, And this is sort of based on the idea that we'd really like to offer sponsorships for a package of events rather than them sponsoring one event at a time as we've done in the past. Uh, I think that we're going to have to rely a lot more on our sponsors and donors than we ever have. 
And this is the opportunity for us to really amplify um, what they're getting for their packages, as well as to help us in that kind of way. So, so in a concrete way, what we're looking at is doing things like hosting some kind of an online game as a fundraiser, say trivia or poker uh, tournaments, and then also doing things that could still be virtual experiences that where everyone's connected, but you could actually have some sort of real world element to it. So say a uh, step, step-a-thon where you're counting your steps and trying to get as many steps as you can in a week or doing some kind of a virtual 5K. Uh, so we've begun to sort of research what other nonprofits and programs are doing and um, looking at their successes and trying to add that into our model. The, and the other thing I would add to that, uh, the other thing I would add to that, Seth, is um, because we are generally really committed to working in partnership with people in the Decatur community and the Atlanta community, um, and, and realize that in the past we have relied on their support of us. One of the things we really want to try to do throughout our fundraising, fundraising year this year is do a little bit more community spotlight activity. You know, So as people support us, we also want to try to be supporting them, highlight local organizations and the work that they're doing, um, which I think happens generally when organizations sponsor for us. We try to really promote them and honor them, but I think we want to do it more assertively this year than we have and really try to give back within the constraints, you know, with given the fact that we're an organization that needs people to support us financially, we also want to try to give back and support this community that we know is hurting in a lot of different ways. No, that that all makes a lot of sense. It sounds a lot sounds very familiar to uh, the what's going on right now. And I love to hear that you're all moving in that direction. Um, and and uh, that yeah, I wish you all the best of luck with that. It makes a lot of sense, uh, folks. If you are pay if you're tuning in now, uh, you'll notice there's the website on the bottom there, thresholdcommunity.org. You can actually make a donation to the organization there, learn more about them, obviously. Um, and uh, so I encourage you to please take a moment and go right down there. You can't miss it. Put it there for you all. Um, <laughs> is there anything else you all would like to share uh, with our viewers here? Uh, no, just that we're extremely grateful that we can continue doing the high level of service that we've been able to do. And that even with all of these challenges, there's many different ways that we can all continue to adapt and grow. Um, and that's the same thing as what Dave was talking about with our community partners. We're just grateful to have those people in our community. And we want to make sure that not only our core is supported, but that we're supporting the growth of the community around us. Yeah, and one of the things I would add too that is, it, it, it sort of took me a few minutes to, to grasp this idea too, which is um, we're really grateful that we are currently able to preserve and protect our staff. The reality is, is that, you know, of the value of this organization is in the people that that do the work is in our staff they have built up experience and as we referred to before built up relationships with our families and participants and we don't want to lose that if people lose their jobs then we're not just in a position of having to replace them we're losing a lot of experience and expertise and commitment so we're very grateful that for the time being our staff is secure that we know we're going to have a solid 
um, experience-laden program to provide to our families through this year and into next year. Uh, but we know that that's a really important part of raising the money. This is why we raise the money so that uh, we can protect the staff and the staff can then keep providing the kind of service that we do to our families. Oh, that's outstanding. And a big thank you to the Decatur community. It seems, uh, it doesn't seem, they the amount of support that you all get is just really, really, really great. Just shows you what kind of community we live in and what a great place to have it's a great uh, community. The Threshold Community Program, but in Decatur here in Georgia. So uh, smart. Yeah, Decatur. agreed. That's good. Agreed. Well, and thank um, you, Seth, too, yeah. for having us on. We really appreciate this opportunity yeah. to talk with you. Well, absolutely. Well, listen, part of having a guest on means that the guest gets to pick my next guest. So I'll let the two of you talk amongst yourselves live here. Who <laughs> do you both recommend as our next guest on Coffee Connections? So, Ben, this was really uh, your idea, so I'm going to let you talk about it. But um, just to say that uh, we work with a lot of organizations in partnership and um, there's really a number of places that we could nominate, but one in particular that I think has been incredibly dedicated to us and we've gotten a lot out of them. Yeah, we've just wanted to highlight Illuminate Atlanta and sort of nominate them to be the next guest. Uh, they're a nonprofit organization similar to us with a mission to increase accessibility to photographic education and the arts by providing photography education opportunities to underserved communities in the metro Atlanta area. They've built um, a completely structured curriculum for us. They are already working with us on building their virtual curriculum. They're fantastic people. They're sort of a subsidiary of the Atlanta School of Photography, which has a ton of great classes uh, for all ages. And we're just really happy to be working with them. They've done some amazing things with our participants um, and provided a lot of great opportunities and really high level um, yeah, photography opportunities, whether that's taking photography um, you know, in person or taking it onto the computer and learning about graphic design and how to edit photos and videos and all that kind of thing. Well, that's awesome. Well, um, I look forward to uh, reaching out to them and hopefully they'll uh, be willing to join us here on Coffee Connections. I want to thank you both so much for your time, uh, more, more than your time, though, for what you do. It's uh, the effort that you're putting into uh, helping with our community and, and all these students and, and then the post job, uh, getting them into the workforce and, and, and showing people that they can be a part of this uh, society is is huge. Uh, it's a lot of work that you're all doing. It doesn't go unnoticed. So thank you for doing that. Uh, my name again is Seth Weiner. I'm your auctioneer. I look forward to everyone coming back on Thursday. Uh, Thursday, this is the two for two because this is, you, you both happen to be my first duo guests. And then on Thursday this week, I've got uh, the Fox Theater Foundation, uh, sorry, Fox Theater Institute uh, uh, talking about the arts and all the uh, money that they're raising, giving to um, different uh theaters across uh, historic theaters across georgia um both the executive director and their marketing director ironically uh are going to be joining us on thursday same time same place uh thank you guys so much uh, again it was great chatting with you i look forward to seeing you here in uh, decatur virtually and hopefully in person sometime in the future guys thanks seth appreciate it yeah thanks again seth nice talking with you all right see you everybody